The reading for this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It turns out I have a lot of stuff up here this morning, sorry. <laughs> we are so excited to be here this morning. We were planning to come to New York and this church before the pandemic, before we went back to Japan the last time, and it just didn't quite work out with our, we were having some visa troubles at the time, and we just couldn't work in the trip, and so we're glad that now we can finally come, and our whole family was able to come. I'm Robert Stewart, I'm sure you know now, and my wife Lisa, my son William and daughter Isabel, we're all here this morning. And we're so thankful for just the welcome that we've had. Just uh, the Paulises have been wonderful, the Mays who've done so much work organizing this weekend, and the Bennetts, we attended their small group, and we're just so thankful to be able to fellowship with you all and meet you and put faces to names and meet new people, and so we're just so thankful to be here this morning. I'm, when Lisa and I were first thinking about missions and doing training in missions, we actually came to New York as part of our missionary training, and we spent a month 
on the upper side. I'm not sure which side it was by Columbia University, east side, west side. <laughs> we spent a month there and we loved the city and we loved what God was doing here in the city, but we were really like, you know, New York is just too small and it's not crowded enough. And so we should just stick with our plan and head on to Tokyo. And so God has blessed us. It's been 21 years since that month that we spent in New York City. And God has done so many wonderful things through us and in us as we have worked with Mission to the World to bring the gospel to Japan. Japan, as you may know, is the second largest unreached people group in the world, second only to Bangladesh because of population. Uh, less than 1% of the people who live there are Christians, and so the church is so small that they need missionaries to come and help them proclaim the good news of Jesus, to plant churches, to plant and run seminaries, to train pastors, and so that's what Mission to the World is doing. And I'm happy to be a part of that organization because I love what they're doing in Japan. You know, not everyone comes to Christ the same way, and not everyone is interested in the same things. And so when you think about going into a culture that doesn't know Jesus at all, you have to do a variety of things to meet that culture. So we're starting seminaries to train pastors. We're starting schools to educate people uh, in a Christian way. We're starting churches in downtown Tokyo, hoping for it would be a mega church. And we're starting community churches in small towns that have no church of any kind. And that's what God has called Lisa and I to do, is to go into a community church planting, to start a church that has, in a town that has no church. And we were able to do that in Shinodeyasu. Um, and we're so thankful to say that that church is particularized. It has Japanese leadership. And although we're sad to be moving on, we're happy to know that God has finished that work for us and is calling us to do it again in another town that doesn't have a church. And so as God continues to work in that culture, we want to stay as long as we can. And so we thank you for your prayers and your support for us to continue to be there. So, you know, I heard about missions the first time from a weekend just like this. And I'm thankful for churches that will set aside a week, a Sunday, to focus on missions and what God is doing around the world. Because I believe that our hearts are hard and our lives are busy. And so we need that, that time over the week for God to begin to chip away and to say, I'm calling you to something. I'm calling you to something. Take time out. Be calm. Let's pray. Let's think about missions. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. And so it was how God called me through a weekend just like this that I'm calling you, Robert, to be a missionary, and ultimately he showed me to be a missionary in Japan. And I went to Japan the first time for one year. I was like, I'm gonna give one year, see how it goes. I didn't fall in love with the culture that first year. Very different from the United States. Very different was what I was used to. I came from a town of 8,000 people, moved to a city of 39 million. And it was very different. But over the course of that year, God began to soften my heart show me what a selfish American I was and how I didn't need to sit on a chair. It was okay to sit on the floor. I didn't need to wear my shoes inside. It was okay to take them off. I didn't need to eat food that I liked. <laughs> and God really began to show me over that year that if I give you the strength that you can do this. If you're worshiping me and getting closer to me, 
that strength to be a missionary will come. But I remember the day that God was like, I want you to be in Japan for a long time. A group of short-termers had come to Japan and we took them on a tour of our town. And we did like, this is the local temple, this is the local supermarket, you know, and all the sights and smells of the supermarket. And the final thing we did was we went to a cemetery, huge cemetery, like as far as you could see, there were people that had been buried there. And the, the missionary giving the tour said, no one who was buried in this cemetery died knowing Jesus. All of these souls were lost. And I remember even today, as clear as it was today, I was thinking, this is where God wants me to be. That if these people could, they would say, please tell my family, tell my community about Jesus because we died without the chance of hearing. And so that's what our Missions Week is about. How can we be involved in a world that needs to know Jesus? How can we be involved in sending people out around the world so that the name of Jesus is praised? You know, so that many people would come and many people would worship. And so I'm so thankful that our family has been a part of that for these 21 years and looking forward to at least another 15 if we can do it. <laughs> so. so in the early years of our mission, we taught a lot of English. And it was super popular in the 90s. People wanted to learn English. And so the missionaries in our town, we started teaching English. And before we knew it, we had like 400 students studying English every week. We started an English school called Open House. And we were teaching them English. But part of what we said when they signed up for the English class was, we're going to have a 30-minute English lesson, and then we're going to give you a free 15-minute Bible lesson in English. And that's how we began to introduce people to Jesus. And there was, there was one book I particularly liked, uh, Dee Wirtz. She wrote a book, a little book called People Who Met Jesus. It's just a simple like English Bible study, breaking it down into simple English words. And in the back, it had the whole thing written out in Japanese so people could understand clearly. And... It was a look about Jesus' encounters with various people that he met in the Bible. But it focused on the theme of how when you meet Jesus, people's lives are changed. So here in John, we see an account of someone else who met Jesus. One of the things that we see in John a lot is that Jesus meets various peoples throughout his ministry. We see him talking to Nicodemus, um, a Jew, a religious leader among the Jews, but he's not afraid to talk to people of all walks of life. And now we get to be privileged to look in on a conversation that Jesus had with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. Not only that, she was a woman of, of bad reputation. She was known in the community of being immoral. We're told here that Jesus left Judea and he was going to travel to Galilee. As you remember, Judea is in the south Galilee is in the north, and in between the two is Samaria. And it would make sense to travel directly through Samaria to get to Galilee. But there was animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the problem was that the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. So just a quick reminder of the history, I guess, would be appropriate, that when David became king of the Jewish people, 
he moved his headquarters to Jerusalem. It was in Jerusalem where Solomon built the temple. The central sanctuary, the center of government for the Jewish people was in Jerusalem. Later, when the kingdom was divided into the northern and southern kingdom, the, um, this is where the northern kingdom constructed their capital city in Samaria. Not only that, not only was their capital not in Jerusalem, but their place of worship was on Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They didn't read and they didn't worship, they didn't learn the, the writings of the prophets. So this created a huge division between the Jews who lived and worshipped in Jerusalem and the Jewish people who lived and worshipped in, in Samaria. In 722 B.C., Assyria <clears throat> conquered Israel, took most of the people off into exile, but some people remained. And then the Assyrians sent foreigners into the town to, what do you call it, recolonize the area and to make sure it stayed in control of Assyria. And it was at that time that they brought their gods with them too. And as the Samaritans and the Assyrians began to intermarry, the Samaritans began to worship the gods that they brought in along with the God of the Jews. And in these marriages, they raised up children who didn't know that there was just the one God, but they worshiped many gods, just like their conquerors. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, 600 BC, they were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. Now the difference was about 70 years later, a remnant of those people were allowed to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Now the Samaritans were ready to welcome those people back because they had a shared history. But the, the people coming back from exiles wanted nothing to do with the Samaritan renegades who had intermarried. The full-blooded, monotheistic Jews disapproved of their mixed marriages and their worship of foreign gods. And so when the Samaritans wanted to join in and help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, they were like, no, thank you, we can... We can handle this on our own. So we see these walls of bitterness only growing stronger and larger over the next 500 years of Jewish history. And because of this hostility, it was customary for the Jews, if you wanted to travel from Judea to Galilee, instead of taking a direct path through Samaria, they would travel south, uh, they would travel east, <laughs> cross the Jordan River, then head north along the, the uh, Trans-Jordan Highway, and then come over into Galilee. But here we see that Jesus decides to go directly through Samaria to get to Galilee. Was he in a hurry? Was he exhausted from all of the walking he had been doing around and like, let's just take the shorter route through the middle? I want to suggest that Jesus goes to Samaria because he was on mission. Jesus' earthly ministry, everything that Jesus did, was leading to his ultimate goal, which was reconciling the lost to the Father. His decision to go through Samaria was part of his plan of evangelism. I think Robert uh, Coleman, in his master plan of evangelism, says it really well when he says, his life was ordered by his objective. Everything he did and said was a part of the whole pattern. 
It had significance because it contributed to the ultimate purpose of his life, which was redeeming the world for God. This was the motivating vision governing his behavior. His steps were ordered by it. Mark it well. Not for one moment did Jesus lose sight of his goal. Here again we see that Jesus is on mission. And there was somebody in, Samaritan, in Samaria that he needed to meet. It was through these centuries of opposition that people can understand the surprise of the Samaritan woman when she comes to the well and Jesus rises above these social and religious restrictions, not just a man talking to a woman, but a Jew talking to a Samaritan. And Jesus, and the, because the Jews do not speak to Samaritans, and certainly they don't drink or eat together, if a Jew was to drink from the same cup as a Samaritan, they would have to go through purification before they would be, would be considered pure again to go and worship in the temple. So in the midst of all of this, Jesus says to this woman, will you give me a drink? In her surprise, she says, you're a Jew and I am a Samarian woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Why would you ask me, of all people, for a drink? Well, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked, you would have asked him. She must have thought, what a strange response. If you knew who it was when I asked you for a drink of water, you would have not given me the history of the social problems between the Jews and the Samaritans, but you would have stopped and said, no, please, you give me a drink. If you would have known who it was, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. You can imagine she was puzzled at this. We would be puzzled at it. She said, you don't have anything to draw water with. How are you gonna give me a drink? You don't even have a bucket. You know, it was a customary in those times when you're walking, you're going on a long journey, that you take a canteen, an animal skin canteen, or something that you can get water from a well when you came to it to quench your thirst. Jesus had none of these. Of course, his disciples had gone into town to buy supplies, so it was probably with them. And so she's looking at him, and he's like, how can you give me a drink? You have nothing to draw water from. Not only that, this well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Listen to this question. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? She couldn't believe that anyone would come along and talk to her, period, much less someone who was greater than their father Jacob. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and fed his livestock and his sons? How is Jesus going to answer this question? Like, yes, as a matter of fact, I am greater than Jacob. You know, Jacob was a great leader in the Jewish community. Jacob had built this well and left it to his son. And at this point, when Jesus and the Samaritan woman were meeting at this well, the well had provided water for the livestock and the community for 2,000 years. And here they are. And if we go today to the same part of the world, we can go to this well. It's still there 4,000 years later 
and it's giving water and strength to the people that need it. But if you notice, Jesus says, when you drink from this well, you're going to have to come back tomorrow because whoever drinks from this well will surely thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never thirst. The water that I will give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The Samaritan woman doesn't want to come to draw water from this well at all. She's despised. She's rejected by her community. She comes during the day when no one would see her and no one would be mean to her. She doesn't want to come at all. When Jesus is engaging with her, he's using a common element of water as a metaphor to describe her spiritual reality. He's also using, in a way, a symbolic speech to talk about thirst. This whole thing started because Jesus was thirsty, and this woman who came to the well was thirsty. So if you could just imagine me for a moment, how thirsty was this woman? Think of her story. How empty was her life? How empty was her soul? I mean, I mean to say that she was passionately pursuing the things of God, hungering after righteousness. If you read about her life, she certainly wasn't hungering after righteousness. The scripture tells us that in our normal, natural, fallen state, that none of us seek God. So she wasn't seeking God but she was desperately seeking peace. Seeking something that would fill her life. Now we know that the only thing that can satisfy that hunger is a relationship with Jesus Christ. People desperately search for the things that God can give them while at the same time they're fleeing from God. Jesus knew all about this woman. Jesus knew that her life was bankrupt. However, she didn't stop trying to find happiness. Five times she had been married. And every time she entered into marriage, she's like, this is the one that will make me happy. This is the true one, the true love that I've been looking for. This marriage is going to be the one that lasts. And now she's living with someone that's not even her husband. Why is she doing this? Does she want to be known as a bad person in her community? No. She's desperately trying to find happiness. She's lonely. She's empty. She's got nothing. No love. She'll grab at anything that she thinks will satisfy this thirst that she has. And Jesus says, if you knew who you were talking to, You would ask me, and I would give you water that will make you alive. My water will satisfy your thirst forever. And she says to him, sir, give me this water. So finally, Jesus' purpose in coming to this well is made clear. Jesus says that the day is coming when all who worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. All who believe will worship because the Messiah is coming and I am he. 
But whoever drinks of the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up into eternal life. R.C. Sproul describes this well perfectly when he says, this water will leap up. It is so alive, so dynamic, so energetic, so powerful that not only will it satisfy our thirst for the moment, but it will begin to pour out of the soul of the person. Something that continues to nurture us day by day, year by year, and we will not thirst. Jesus is offering her the one thing that could quench her thirst forever. Now our Bible reading this morning didn't cover this part, but we know the story. That when she realizes who Jesus is, she leaves and she runs to the town because she has to tell people that she's met the Messiah. In her excitement, she leaves her water pot. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us whether she ever filled the water pot at all. But she'd come that day to the well to fill that water pot. And in her excitement, she forgot why she was even there. She leaves it and she runs off because she can't wait to get into town, the very town where she is an outcast and she's despised, where the woman hated her and she snuck out in the middle of the day to get water from the well so she didn't have to see anyone. Now she cannot wait to tell everyone, I met a man out by the well. He told me everything about myself. He is the Messiah. Come and see and this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've come to the right place. You've come to a place where people understand the Bible. People will help you understand. If you're looking for something to make you happy and you've tried everything in your own power, Jesus is offering you living water that will satisfy that thirst forever. And today may be the day that you meet him and say, I met a man. Come and see what God has done in my life. Now this is a missions sermon, a missions morning. And many of you may be saying, where's the mission part of the sermon? But you know, we too are people who met Jesus. And we all have our well story. Do you remember it? Do you remember the day that you met Jesus? I remember the day I met Jesus. My dad was an alcoholic, and my mother had taken us to church our whole life. We had been baptized in the church as infants, but my dad never went to church. But God sent a pastor to our church one day, Tim Elder, and he told my dad, every time you don't come to church on Sunday with your family, I'm going to come to your house after church and visit you, and we're going to pray together. And so he started doing that. Month after month, year after year, Sunday my dad didn't go to church, Tim Elder came to our house. I was like, Bob, your wife and kids had a great time at church today. It would be great if you could come too. And one day my dad came, got up, and went to church with us. And after a couple of months of going to church, he believed in Jesus. And he went to work that day. My dad worked in a factory, wire weaving factory, kind of a rough crowd. 
And he was so excited to tell people about this Jesus that he had met. And they were all like, Bob, my dad was Robert too. Bob, you don't know Jesus. You still go to the bar with us. You still smoke all the time. You know, you don't know Jesus. And I remember he came home that night and told us that story at dinner. And he was like, never drinking again, never smoking again. And he never did, by God's grace, never did, nothing. And he's like, I want people to know that my life has been changed because of what Jesus has done. And I'm telling you, as an 11-year-old boy, I was like, I want to know this Jesus, the Jesus that has transformed my family. Now, here's the weird part. I told my parents, I need you to call my Sunday school teacher so she can come to the house and tell me how to meet Jesus. <laughs> As to this day, I hate that I robbed my parents of that joy, but I was like, no, has to be the Sunday school teacher. <laughs> so my Sunday school teacher, who was my mother's best friend, came to our house, we sat on the front porch of our house, and she introduced me to how I can have a saving faith in Jesus. And I'll never forget that day. That's my well story, the day I met Jesus. You know, there was a time when we were all hungry and we were thirsty for a means of salvation. Ephesians 2, 2 through 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, you were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. Verse 4 again, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ because of his great love. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, we can do nothing but run and tell everyone. Brothers and sisters, we do not bring a gospel to our community. We do not bring a gospel to the world that we do not understand. Because we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 We met a man And he told us everything about ourselves. And he loved us and he forgave us. The Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. Leave your water pot. Leave that thing you thought was important. And go and tell everyone the Messiah has come. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you for your spirit that lives in us, that draws us to worship together. We thank you for the love of Christ 
We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for stories like the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who was despised and rejected. We thank you, Lord, because we can identify with these people. We can see ourselves in these people. And that's the point, that we can know that we too can be forgiven, that we too can have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, and like this woman, give us the boldness to go out into our community, into this city, into cities around the world, and proclaim the Messiah has come. Come and see a man who told us everything about us, who knew us, who loved us and forgave us, and has given us salvation, and has given us living water that will spring up in us a well so that we will never thirst. We thank you for these promises. We thank you for the love of God. We thank you for reconciling us to God through the work of Jesus, through the work of the Spirit every day. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.